0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. That's fantastic. It's great to see you, and great to be with you, and uh, great to be able to open God's Word uh, and share with you today. I've got a few things that I'd like to I'd like to congratulate and welcome, and uh, let. Pastor Vincent know that we are praying for him. Um, They're meeting over the Chinese church and meeting in the cafe as we speak and enjoying a time of fellowship and uh, we want to remember that they're part of us and that uh, we want to pray for them and lift them up before the Lord and uh, I wanted just to remind you of that. Um, Coming up on the 17th I just wanted to make note of the uh, home groups and uh, we'll be going through Psalm 23 and also we'll be going to have some material for you on 1st John so please uh, come along to that. If you're not part of a community group uh, we encourage you to be part of one and they're starting up on the 23rd and beyond those weeks so we'll have a home group Sunday or community group Sunday on the 23rd and uh, you'll be able to sign up if you're not part of a community group you'll be able to sign up at the desk and uh, that'll be a wonderful thing for you to be part of. Oh, also wanted to remember those who are on the front lines. We're hearing a lot in the news, in the news, in the news, in the news. They're always on the news about the pandemic and the rise of Omicron and uh, how that's affecting us and our community. And I was mindful of those who have, like Bev, have been shut in and immediately locked down, and now is out of lockdown. But also those on our front lines who are serving uh, the nurses, the doctors, the clinicians who are caring for these people. And uh, we have a number of those in our community. And I wanted to pray for them before we start today. So if you'd be kind enough to stand with me, we'll just commit them to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you for you, Father. Father, we thank you for Pastor Vincent. We thank you for our Chinese fellowship. We pray your blessing on them as they meet together now. And Lord, we ask for growth. We ask that as they sow the gospel, that they would reap many people for the kingdom of God. We ask for Vincent that you would sustain him and supply all of his need And uh, we say thank you for him as we thank you, Lord, for all of our workers, all of our volunteers. We praise you and thank you for them. Father, we think of those, particularly now, we lift them before you, those that are on the front line with this virus uh, raging in our community. We pray that you would be their strength and their portion. Uh, We pray that you would uh, protect them. We pray that you would give them the appropriate rest. And Father, Above all things, we pray that they would find their strength and their peace in you. And uh, Lord, we pray as a church that we would honor you. And in these days ahead, we would honor you. And we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you very much. Please take a seat. As uh, my comes to take. Oh, there you go. Thank you, Jeff. He's got it fixed so that I can speak properly. That's very, very good. The battery dropped out of my pocket as I stood up and it ripped, the head off, ripped my headset off, but nonetheless, we charge on. Well, it's great to be able to share with you today, and last week I took you through Exodus chapter 19, and this week I have the privilege of taking you through Exodus 20, 21, 22, 23, and 24 that was my assignment, (laughs) you'll be pleased to know that I've decided to take you through the first portion of Exodus chapter 20. And uh, really Exodus chapter 20 pitches the rest of Exodus and uh, is really a breakdown of the rest of Exodus. So we're going to look at God's law this morning and how that applies to each of us. We're going to look at our good God. We're going to look at his good law. And as we come into Exodus chapter 20, we may think it's right removed from us, but actually it's repeated in the New Testament. It's a standard that sets God's holiness. It's a holy God giving his holy law. It's a God who is setting up, and we might think it's a a restriction to us or a parameter to us, but God is actually setting up a holy law for us to live by. And it's quite amazing if you think about it. You try and think of 10 pithy things that you could say to a community that would provide them with the protection that this law provides to us. It's quite amazing and uh, we can't do it. God's law is good because God is good. God has set up a fence not to constrain us, but to, as it were, keep out the predators that would harm us as an individual and harm us as a society. But God has put a fence up too to restrain us. Because of the temptations that we face and the sin that we often enter into, God has set up this fence so as to protect us, protect our community, protect our nation. And so when we come into this passage this morning, remember that God is good. Come with me, if you will, into chapter 20 and verse 1. And right away, all God spoke, and all these words, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And again, we see here that God spoke. God is not silent, God does speak. And He spoke in the Old Testament here, but He also spoke in the New Testament. And He spoke in the New Testament and still speaks to us. He speaks to us loudly through the life of Christ. It's God's message to us, God's voice to us, God's life to us is the Lord Jesus Christ. And God spoke to the people of Israel and said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now let's reorientate ourselves again to remember that God did this marvellous work with the nation of Israel because they were in bondage in Israel, they were suffering in Israel and they called out to the Lord and finally their pleas entered heaven and God acted on their behalf. This is significant. It's significant to remember this because they had many, many other gods in the land of Egypt. Many other gods who they called upon for prosperity and for health and for wealth. And none of these gods answered their prayers. None of these gods met their need because they were gods of their own imagination. And when they called on the, the God, The Almighty God, he was able to act on their behalf. Now that's great news. It's great news, isn't it? You're able to call upon the Almighty God. And the Almighty God has promised to hear us and to act on our behalf. And we are such a a blessed people for that. But then he gives them ten words. Ten words or ten commandments to live their life by, to provide them protection personally, to provide them protection against themselves and to provide them protection against the outside forces that would seek to harm them. And the first thing that he says to them, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. All these gods of their imagination, all these gods that they had been delivered from for Egypt, they were not to have them anymore, but they were to serve the Lord and serve the Lord alone that's a message in itself to us we are to be committed to the living God solely and wholly and not have other gods in our lives and let's face it we do have other gods in our lives we often find ourselves serving other things we often find ourselves enslaved to other gods the gods of prosperity the gods of sensuality And God says you are to have no other gods. Repent of this. You are to have no other gods before me. The people of Israel were familiar with this. This really spoke to them. They had brutal gods. Gods who kept them in bondage and in slavery and yet they continued to worship. The the God of Astrod, the multi-breasted God, the God of life and sex and they used to serve this God and they used to cheat on each other and get involved in immorality and along with that came disease and hardship and burden it never ever lent to freedom It never ever went to freedom they had the God who was the God of prosperity Moloch and they used to have an image of Moloch it was basically a furnace type uh, arrangement And they would have a fire in the furnace and this god of Moloch had arms that came out of the furnace. And they used to bow down and worship at that furnace. And they used to offer their children, their babies, they would put their babies on the arms of the furnace and they would burn them to death in worship of Moloch in the pursuit of prosperity. And he says, you are to have no other gods before me. You are to worship me and me alone because I am a God of life. I am a God of blessing. I am the God who will truly give you true prosperity. I am the God who will heal you. I am the God who will bless you. And you are to worship me and me alone. And in our day and age when we have so many other gods that we can worship, So many other things that call for our attention. So many opportunities for immorality. So many opportunities to seek prosperity. So many other altars to worship at. God calls to us through time and says, Worship me and me alone. I deserve your worship. Because you see, he was the God that lifted the nation of Israel out of Egypt. Excuse me a moment. I've always wanted to do that. He was the God who had laid down his credentials right there in verse 1 and said, I am the God that brought you out of bondage. I am the God that brought you out of slavery. I am the God that brought you to freedom. I am, I am. He is the one and truly God and deserves to be worshipped. Isaiah 4 and verse 6 is a very, very interesting verse and pictures the nation of Israel Uh, worshipping their gods and some of their gods they used to carry on their chest, some of their gods they used to carry on their backs and God calls to them and said, why, why do you carry these things? Why do you burden yourself? Do you not know that I will carry you? A beautiful image, a beautiful picture saying to these uh, people of Israel that he will be their God, he will be their saviour, he will carry them and doesn't God carry us? Hasn't God carried us many times as we've worshipped him and trusted him? He goes on a bit further and says, You shall have no carved image of me. And this speaks to putting God in a box, having a carved image of God or making a God of our own and being able to put limitations on this God of our own so that with the limitations of God and having God in a box We're able to do what we want to do and still worship. We're able to have our sin and we're still able to worship. We're able to live our lives the way we want to live our lives and we're still able to be at peace because we worship this God whom we have carved, a God of our own imagination, a God who has the limitations that we bring to it. He says, I am not that God. I am the I am. And you will worship me and you will have no carved image before me. You will not do this anymore. The reality is that we are idol makers. Our hearts are factories for idol makers. We find so many things to worship apart from God. So many things to bow down and subject our lives to other than God. We are to honour God. We are to not make a carved image of him. We are not to fit him in a box we are to worship him and him alone. goes on in verse 7 and says this, You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. We're not to diminish, familiarize, and there it is, OMG. We're not to diminish or familiarize or make it meaningless. It's holy as God is holy. You see, God's name is represents him, it represents his sovereignty, it represents his nature, it represents his very being and he says that I am holy and you ought to be holy also. God takes his name very seriously because it reflects his character of mercy and of love and of power and of deliverance. And he says that we are not to take it in vain lest we fall into judgment. And today it's been popularized, it seems to be on all our social media, everybody responds this way, when they see something amazing, they say, oh my God, or OMG. Have you come across that? And we've become so familiar with it, and people use it all the time, and they're actually speaking about the sovereign God, the most holy God, Yahweh. And we are not to do that, because it doesn't reflect the truth of who we think God is. It diminishes God. It diminishes His character. And God says that we should not do it. We should not take the Lord's name in vain. God is after our heart, not our lip service. He wants us to know Him and He wants us to revere Him. He wants our lives to tell the truth about Him. Do you understand that? He wants your life to be a representation of the truth about Him. He wants you to know that he is holy, holy, holy. And you approach him that way and you think about him that way and you speak about him that way. God is holy and he should be spoken about that way. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath. This is the only commandment that's not uh, retold in the New Testament. But I think in principle we are bound to keep a day apart for the Lord. Now this was a revolutionary idea for the people of this time. Believe it or not, the people of this time worked seven days a week. They didn't know to have a rest day. So this was like new news when God said to them, you are to have a Sabbath day. You are to put a day aside where you do not put a burden on anyone, where you focus on me, where you worship me, where you come for me, to me for revelation." You are to spend a day in rest. And God says the same to you today. That there should be a day of rest. You should work six days and then you should set a day aside where you can worship the Lord, where you can read His Word, where you can meditate upon Him, where you can relax and revive. God is a loving and caring God who cares about us. He knows how we work best. Like when you get a Harley Davis I actually had a triumph you get a triumph motorcycle and th- they're beautiful beautifully made and uh, the gauges on them are nice the uh, the motor runs beautiful the exhaust pipes look they're just fantastic and uh, I could go on but the guy that knows how a triumph runs the best is the guy that made it He knows exactly how it works, exactly what it needs, exactly how we should treat it, exactly how fast it should go, exactly where we should ride it. And God has made you. He is the creator. And he knows exactly how you work. And he cares enough to say to you, you need a day of rest and you need a day where you can focus on me as the holy God. A day of rest before the Lord. So we should have no other gods before him. We should not have any carved images. We should not take the Lord's name in vain. We should remember that the Sabbath day is holy. And again, in verse 12, we read, Honor your mother and your father. Now, for some of you here, that's an easy thing to do, isn't it? Your mother and father are here. And uh, they're part of our church and they are precious people and they've done their level best to raise you in a way that honours the Lord. And we'll point out the mistakes they've made later on. But there are some here today, perhaps, that have had parents who have treated them horribly. And your experience of parental life has been less than perfect. We've, I know that you're deeply, deeply hurt. And for me to say to you, honour your mother and father, and for you read that command in the word of God, doesn't make any sense to you. The first thing you think of is all the hurt and harm that you have faced. But I want to explain it to you this way. The best way for you to honour your mother and father is to grow up and to live a life before the Lord with all your strength, with all your might and with all your heart, to love him with everything you have, to honour him in the way that you live, to honour him in the way that you speak, to honour him in the way that you work, to honour him in your worship, to be dedicated to Christ. And that is the best way that you can honour. My parents are non-Christians. So what is the best way for me to honour my non-Christian parents? Is to live for the Lord and to witness to them. And I want to say to you today that I've been terribly, terribly hurt by your parents. There is a need for forgiveness because this terrible weight of unforgiveness holds on to your life. There's a need for healing. There's a need for the the work of Christ to work in that situation. But you are to live for Christ and for Christ alone. A lifetime of respect, a lifetime of freedom lifetime of devotion to the Lord in verse 13 we read do not murder somebody sent me a uh, a a fridge magnet with this on one time uh, do not murder with an exclamation mark at the end and basically saying you know there's not much else I can say it's pretty easy to understand don't murder which was a great relief to my neighbors and Carol at the time (laughs) do not murder ultimately given life is given by God And uh, we are not to take that into, we are not to violate that. Murder violates God's sovereignty over life and death. One's life has dignity, even the most based life has dignity, because God gave that life, God made that person. And Jesus said, not only shall you not murder, but if you have hatred in your heart, you have sinned. Now let's face it, most of you are good, clean living people here from the standard of some standard. Most of you haven't murdered. Some of you have murdered and you've been to jail and you've served your time and it's all over and done with and you're back in our community again. So we can put our hand up and say, that's one that I haven't sinned against. That's one that I haven't broken. But then Jesus takes it a step further and he said, even if you have hatred in your heart, you have murdered. So how many of us here have felt ill of a neighbour or thought something horrible towards someone else or wished that someone would go away or wished that someone would fall on hard times or had an evil thought? And I'm just talking about husbands and wives. We could extend that further out. (laughs) We all find ourselves uh, guilty of murder. It effectively... Destroys our soul and the fabric of our society, do not commit adultery, do not commit adultery stores re- destroys the very covenant God designed. God is a, a covenant keeping God, and he modeled his relationship with the nation of Israel like a husband and wife. This is where we get it first in the beginning, we had Adam and Eve as they were married before the Lord, and it seems as though the Lord really honored marriage we didn 't think marriage up and then He takes that marriage relationship and he has a marriage relationship with the nation of Israel. This is why he says that they committed adultery because they basically worshipped other gods, not worshipping him alone. And then we see that God loves marriage so much that he brought it over into the New Testament and he says that we are, us, the church, the bride of Christ. So this beautiful, beautiful imagery of marriage and adultery just tears at that. Destroys families. It 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 wounds our children like you would believe. We we think that we can get away with it scot free, but it damages our children. I have some videos that I showed couples for pre-marriage and marriage classes, and one of the one of my it's all full of pastors and preachers like it's just boring as get out but there's one bit that I really love and right at the beginning they interview children and ask the children about love and about marriage and it's just gorgeous to see these little boys and these little girls saying I love to see mummy and daddy kiss in the kitchen and they're sort of really awkward together and squeaky together but it's really nice and it makes me feel kind of gushy in my tummy but it makes me feel full, so full of hope and so full of uh, peace I really really love it our children are looking in on how we are speaking about God. and Did you hear me then? God, our children are looking in about how we are speaking about God. Our lives must tell the truth about the living God. Our living God is a covenant-keeping God. He makes an agreement and he sticks to it and he says that you are to model your marriages the same way when you commit yourself to someone. That's it for life. Covenant-keeping God is honoured when we live in marriage with fidelity. The right words, and uh, we don't commit adultery. We are not to steal. Ever stolen anything? Just coming back to adultery for a minute. Jesus said in the New Testament, if you look at a woman, or if you look at a man, or if you look at someone else with eyes full of lust, you have committed you have committed... Come on, you can say it loud, Nat. You've committed... Right? Have you ever looked at a woman or a man or someone else with eyes full of lust who is not your husband or not your wife? We're all guilty before God. Come a little bit further. We are not to steal. God owns everything. And we are not to steal. You deny that he supplies your need. God is the one who supplies our need. We live that truth out in our lives. We declare to the world that we believe that God supplies our need and then we break that by going out and stealing. I had a trailer parked beside my property. I still am struggling to forgive the person that took this, but I had a trailer, a 10x5 trailer, And I was in the building trade then and I'd loaded it full of three bathrooms. I'd stripped three bathrooms out and I'd filled it up. And Gwynfer's toilet was up on top of this trailer. Prompt up there, really. And originally I had a a mannequin and I had the mannequin sitting up on top of there as well. I'd take it, he'd fallen off. So it was just this toilet up on top of this big pile of rubbish. And I had it parked on the block and I thought, nobody's gonna take that. I couldn't have been further from the truth. I came home one day and I was gobsmacked and unbelieving to find that somebody had stolen my trailer and they took Gwynford's toilet as well. They're, they're using it right now. They probably made it into a flower pipe. So proud of themselves. And I was wounded by that and the wound was deep in all seriousness and I thought, my goodness, this is what it feels like to have something stolen from you. And it added more seriousness to the reality that we are not to steal as God's children. And primarily we are not to steal because it does not tell the truth about God. God meets our need. God supplies our need. And we have no need other than for him. We are not to steal. We are not to bear false witness. What does that mean? We are not to bear false witness. We are not to tell a lie. We are not to get involved in slander, we've got to treat one another right, we've got to speak the words of truth in love, you can be saying the right words, we can excuse ourselves, you can say the right words, you can be telling a portion of the truth in a circumstance, but it's actually adding to the demise of someone else. You can go into a situation where a person is slandering or speaking ill of somebody and you've got a very smart word to say, a word that is actually, if it was tested, is right. But in the context, it's wrong. It's bearing false witness against a brother or a sister. It's intended to hurt. And I think that all of us have been trapped in court in that at one time or another. We're not to covet our neighbor's house. We're not to covet our neighbor's wife. We're not to covet our neighbor's horse. If you've got a neighbor with a horse, I haven't got a neighbor with a horse. Okay. He's, yeah, maybe. I've got a, an, and you're not to covet a neighbor's donkey. Think about that. Yeah, my neighbor's got a bit of a donkey. We're not to covet. We're not to wish after that because godly contentment, or rather godliness with contentment is great gain. That's what Timothy says. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Never, never are we to be involved in coveting our neighbour because, again, we are saying to the Lord, you have not met my need. And covetousness is an emotion. Covetousness is sitting on the couch and daydreaming about your neighbour's new car and wishing that you'd had it. Covetousness opens the doorway up to murder because if you really, really want that car, why not just murder your neighbour and take his car? A opens up to lots of different things. It opens up and it's very, very similar to stealing. When you covet your neighbor's thing, you want to steal it. When you covet your neighbor's wife, you want to sleep with her. And so we find that in this way, all, all of the commandments are tied together. And you can do this in your own time. Actually play around with them and realize that if you break one, you break them all. Because ultimately, if you're involved in covetousness, you have not honoured the Lord your God and put him first in your life. And you'll find that they are all linked together. Do not covet your neighbour's house. So there is the commandments of the Lord. How did you go? Did everybody, anybody get through unscathed? Did anybody get through? Come on, put your hand up if you did. There's not one person here who has not broken the law of God and is guilty before God, and will suffer for him condemnation. That's the reality of it. So who will set us free? Who will pay the price for our sins? Who will set us uh, on the right track? You see, uh, the reality is that we have been set on fire by God's law. God has given us his law, and yet because of our sinful nature, it actually gives rise and gives power to the law. Let me explain it this way. You're walking through the park and there's a, a, a bench in the park and it's got a sign on it and it says wet paint, do not touch. What's the first thing you want to do? And, you reach, and, and you've got to find a place because you, you're late to the bench and there's all these hand marks over the bench because <laughs> everybody else is trying to avoid it. But you touch it, wondering if the paint is actually wet. And it, it empowers you. If, if they had have left the bench unmarked and not put a sign on it, you would have walked straight past it. Okay, one guy would have sat on it. Big deal. But you would have walked past and not touched it. And it's the same with the commandments. The commandments actually empower sin and bring it to fullness. And when sin gives birth, it gives birth to death. So who will free us from this? Have a look at Matthew chapter 5. I do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, but I have come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus Christ has come into the world and died on the cross and offered himself as a sacrifice that he might fulfill the law and thereby cover us with his blood, cover us with his sacrifice. So when the Father looks from heaven down on me, a sinner a lawbreaker. He sees me not as a sinner and a lawbreaker, but he sees me covered in the blood of Christ. He sees me in the righteousness of Christ. He sees me as one who is forgiven. Isn't that great news? Isn't that great news? Amen? Come on, shake yourselves up, folks. Let's go. Romans three twenty four: For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in the sight of God since the law comes through the knowledge of sin. The law gives power to sin. And no flesh will be justified. So we don't actually get right with God, we don't actually meet God by the keeping of his law, which is good news because we can't keep it. Although we want to keep it, although we see that it's a, a fence that's set up by our good God to protect us, and, but we find that we're always breaking that fence down. We can't keep the law of God, we can't keep the covenant of God. Since the law was a guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. So the law now is a pointer towards the cross. The law has become for us something that drives us to the Lord Jesus Christ. It shows us our shortcomings, it shows us that we've fallen short of the glory of God and so we flee to the cross to be forgiven. It's a guardian. Romans 8, and let's, Romans 4, rather, 7 to 8. Read this with me. It's up on the screen for you. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord never counts against them. You are very quiet. You ready to go again? Everybody, read it with me. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Amen. Amen. Is that you? Have you cried out to the Lord Jesus Christ and asked him to forgive you of your sin? As we went through the commandments today, you were like me. You found that you had broken God's law. And we are all guilty of breaking God's law. And that means that when we stand before the living God, if we stand before the living God and thinking that we're going to win his favor by our good works, we'll be cast headlong into hell. And the reality is today that you've got to recognize that you are a sinner and that you've fallen short of God's grace and that you need the Lord Jesus Christ to be your ambassador to stand before you and God so that you can be forgiven of your sins. And Jesus offers that to you. He offers that to you. He says, believe in me and your sins shall be forgiven. What an offer. What an offer that is. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 says, In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. It's just what I said. We are forgiven because of the offering of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have put your faith in him, You are covered by the offering of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, according to Colossians. We are forgiven of our sins because Jesus Christ paid the price. And finally, when he had received the sour wine, he said, what did he say? That's an amazing statement. This is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ hanging on the cross and he was the fully God, fully man. He was without sin and he was put on that cross for you and I. And as he hung upon that cross and his final words on that cross were, it is finished. I've paid the price. I've won the victory. Praise the Lord. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus paid it all. We've had a look at the law this morning that makes us feel condemned, let's face it. Although it's from a good God, and we are thankful for that, and the law, the law is good, we are convicted by the law because we're not able to meet the law. But through Jesus Christ, he died on the cross, and he paid the price that we owed so that we could be right with God again. We're going to pray now, and uh, I'll ask the musicians to come forward. If there are some of you here today who have not trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to pray in a moment and I want you to pray along with me. It may be the first time that you've prayed. It may be the first time you've prayed this prayer of dedication to the Lord. I want you to humble yourself. I want you to confess your sins. I want you to cry out to God and ask him to forgive you. And the word of God tells us that if we do that, we will become the child of God. We will receive the Holy Spirit. And then there are those of you here today, I want to pray a second prayer who are like me, who have been carrying your sin. I'm a fairly strong guy and I can trudge really well. And I can pretend and I can act and I can preach and I can teach and I can work and I can serve all while I carry my sin. And you're the same. You've been trudging along carrying this burden of sin that you don't need to carry anymore because Jesus says, Bring it to me, ask me for forgiveness, and I will bear that for you. I will carry that, I will carry you. So, I want to pray for you along with me that you would offload your burden of sin. Let's pray together. Let's pray firstly for those here today that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And through this morning's message, you've felt the Lord speak to you and you've felt the urgency of the Holy Spirit in your life and you, you want to believe God, you want to trust in Him, you want eternal life, you, you want to repent from your sins. I want to pray for you now and then I'll pray for the others afterwards. Let's pray together. Would you please stand with me, all of you, as we pray together? Dear Father in heaven, I acknowledge that i've sinned against you i i've broken your law and i've i've broken more than one part of your law and i know that you've said that i'm guilty but i know that you sent the lord jesus christ as this perfect man and perfectly god and one without sin to die for me he paid a price for me and i place my faith in him now i believe in him and i thank you for his sacrifice And I pray that you would forgive me. I pray that you would hear my prayer. And I thank you. I thank you ahead of time that you've heard my prayer. That you have promised that if I call upon you, you will hear me. And you will save me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Father, I come before you now with my sin, with my burden. For too long I've carried my burden and my sin. I look fine to those around me and i can hide it from those around me but to you all things are seen and along with my brethren i bow before you and i ask you to forgive me of my sin i give you my burden i thank you that you paid the price to forgive my sin upon the cross and i confess my sin before you now And I thank you so much for your forgiveness. I thank you, Lord, that your word says that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. You are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so I stand before you in your righteousness, in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank you for this day and I thank you for the freedom we found on this day. And uh, I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.